Isaiah chapter 3, verse number 1. Read through this short chapter of five verses. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver, for a homer of barley, and a half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days, thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man, so will I also be for thee. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, without a teraphim. Afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we do love you. Thank you for your word. I ask your blessing, Lord, this evening. I pray that you would work. Use this to strengthen us, Lord, as we can see such a great image of your love. So help me to communicate it effectively. Help me to speak clearly and guide in this and work. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, I pray for that conviction and that drawing that perhaps even this evening they would repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Again, the book of Hosea, even though this words we're reading right now, I want you to think about that. They were written 2,700 years ago. 700 years before Christ even came. 2,700 hundred years. It's a long time. And yet it's amazing how those these words that were written 2,700 years ago help us right now. Hosea is one of the prophets, minor prophets that I find, of course, very interesting. He's, he's a contemporary, basically, or sort of in between, if you will, might be more accurate, but still about the same time frame between Amos and Isaiah. All right, that's, that's your setting in it, when, if you were to read in there. He was a prophet to the northern kingdom. This is after the civil war has taken place, after Jeroboam has split the nation as a result of Rehoboam and, and his, his poor decision-making as king. And Hosea is, is sort of what we consider the weeping prophet like Jeremiah. Amos, who was a contemporary, but his ministry primarily before Hosea's time, uh, was he was the hard-nosed preacher. He was the one who was to get in your face and shout and everything else. That would be Amos. Uh, but that's not Hosea. And, and, and by the way, you do see a key there. It's a whole other message that I preach. That it's, not, it, it's just matters of, 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 of wanting to serve God, wanting to be all about God, and God can use who you are. So Hosea is much more of the compassion. His message was much more, you can look at Amos was much more on the law of God and then breaking the law of God when you read Amos. When you get into Hosea, it's much more on them breaking the heart of God. One dealing with the law and one dealing with love. His ministry lasted a good amount of years, almost 80 years that his ministry actually lasted. Um... His prophecies that, that come about in this book are all fulfilled during his lifetime. He would witness the nation that he loved, the nation that God had a minister to, crushed 
by the Assyrians. Not just taken captive. They were crushed. He would witness it. If you're to read about his time frame historically in the historical books of the Old Testament, you would read 2 Kings chapter 14 through chapter 20. Israel, of course, was a mess during this time. Uh, they were actually fairly strong when he ministered. Economically, they were doing well. Um, but there was mass decay taking place within the culture. Uh, it, was, it was a wicked and vile time. I have writings here from other men describing what Israel would have been like during the time of Hosea, leading up to the time of the Assyrian uh, destruction of the northern kingdom. How was, the place was filled with murder, violence, adultery, perversion, drunkenness. Um, indifference to God, debauchery, lawlessness, uh, violence everywhere. Um, no settled foreign policy. You can read that clearly, actually, when you go through the text. They did not have that. They had alliances with Egypt at times, alliances with Assyria at times. Um, and that's what happens when you're no longer trusting God. You have to try and figure things out on your own. That's always, that will always lead to a mess in your life. The cause of all the chaos was directly related to the abandonment of their faith. Jeroboam setting up those golden calves for them to worship at Bethel and Dan, which, by the way, on the trip to Israel last year, that was one of the, probably one of my top three spots that I just found fascinating. Because they found the location in Dan where this was up, with still some of the structure of the area in place that he had, that Jeroboam had built. And it was just fascinating to see what they were attempting to do there. Now, as you come through it, as you know, Hosea was, was commanded of God to go and marry a particular woman. And God let him know, when you marry her, she's not going to be faithful. She's going to commit adultery over and over and over. So chapter 1, you have Hosea, obedient to God. He's using Hosea's life and the pain that Hosea is going to be in as a, as a living illustration of what the nation of Israel was putting God through. All right, I want you to think about that. Because this also has a direct connection to us and what we can put the Lord through with the pain that he can experience. Hosea is obedient. He marries Gomer. The Bible then goes into the children that are born unto him, and there's three of them. The first one, more than likely, actually belongs to Hosea. The other two, it's very doubtful they were his, just on the name that is given and, and what we know of it. Most likely those two, those two the, the second and third child, were both born of her whoredom. Um, and then we read in the chapter 2, it gets more into her sin and what God would do as a result. You also find out that Gomer really, find, Gomer really finds out that sin does not, does not fulfill the promises that it gives you of the satisfaction and how it is just, it, there is just pleasure in sin for a season and that is it. Hosea's heartache is seen over and over again. The humiliation he has, the hurt he has in his wife who is running around. Everybody knows he's the prophet. They also know who his wife is. He has the pain from this taking place from his wife. He has the humiliation. So he is in the midst of great heartache. 
with his right wife running around with all of her hornums. His homeland is an idolatry, turning from God, facing destruction, a difficult time. When we come to chapter 3, it's my, it's my favorite chapter of the book of Hosea. It's Hosea chapter 3, these few couple of verses. We don't know how long, but it's probably been quite a while since Hosea has seen Gomer when you get into chapter 3. And the Lord tells him, go get her. Why don't you go find her? Go find Gomer and bring her home. Gomer at this time is completely used up. There is no beauty about her anymore. That is done. Her youth is gone. Her beauty is faded. It is no more. She no doubt is filthy. Reeks of alcohol. Her life led her to a point where she ends up becoming a slave. She probably had to sell herself because all those men who, quote, loved her, and just simply lusted after her and made all those fake promises to get what they wanted, they're done with her now. Her beauty's gone. They're done with her. So she ends up having to sell herself to become a slave. She is now, when we come into chapter 3, up for sale by the man who owns her. I don't know, it doesn't tell us, I don't think he did, but when Hosea set out to find Gomer, um, I, I don't know that he knew that she'd become a slave. He's going to find that out, of course. But I can just picture Gomer sitting down, and basically, it might not have been a set cage, but bound. She's a slave. Knowing she is literally up for sale. And the truth is, no one wants her. Because the price that Hosea will pay was half the price of a slave at that time. Which tells you the owner had to reduce the price to get anyone to even consider her. And even though she's half off, literally, no one's still buying her. So I want you to draw an image in your mind of what's taking place here. Think of the life she chose to live. She married, literally, the godliest man in the nation. A man who didn't play games with his faith. A man who would actually love her as, as, as God would want him to love her. And over and over, she spurned it, humiliating him. And in truth, because of how she lived, the only value she ever saw in herself is completely gone now. There's no one anymore trying to woo her, offering her presents and garments and, and making promises of a life. That's all gone. She's used up. I wonder when she's sitting there for sale, how often... How often she thought of Hosea with regret. 
how often it really came to her mind, you know, there's really only one man who loved me. One. How I hurt him over and over, how I never cared. The man who showed kindness, the man who showed grace over and over and over again. The regret must have been so strong and bitter. Regretting the decisions, regretting the life she has chosen. So here she is now, up for sale. Humiliating. She is sitting there. Again, try and draw the image in your mind. When I, when I sat down to meditate and think about how this would have looked that day, this is how I pictured it. God, of course, sends Hosea. Go get her. I want you to bring her home. And Hosea is obedient to the Lord. Yes, sir. I'll do it. And somehow along his travels, you know, it probably wasn't too difficult to find out. He finds out where she is and that she is up for sale. And it's amazing the Lord waited for this time. And remember, if you go back when I went through the book of Hosea, we talked about this in, in, when we got into Hosea 1 and 2. The Lord actually hedged her ways, not letting her do all the evil she actually wanted to do. There's many times God protects us from the evil of our own heart. And so as I picture this, I, I picture just slumped down, head down, miserable, chained, and, and, and regretting, used up. No one wants her. She knows she's half off now. There's still nobody coming. I mean, it's just a wasted life. Wondering, what have I done? Again, I think often thoughts of Hosea coming in, of the only man who ever showed genuine kindness and grace to her coming to her mind. And I believe she's just sitting there with her head down, just in tears. And then Hosea sees her. I could just see Hosea coming in with a garment. And just sort of covers up her, her nakedness from all the immodesty. Throws the garment on her. And then she hears those words. Gomer, come home. And she knows the voice. It's Hosea. There's no way she thought that ever would have happened. How she treated him. What took place. But he's actually there. Gomer, come home. I could see her looking up with tears and disbelief. As Hosea is standing there before her with compassion, with forgiveness. And he lets her know, I have bought the price. You're coming home. What a great picture of what Christ has done for each one of us. Do you understand that we are Gomer? We are the ones with no hope. A slave to sin, bound by it with its destruction and all that it does in our life. And it is Christ, the one who comes with his robe of righteousness, to put it on us. To save us from what is to come. We were the ones lost and undone. We were the ones without hope. 
We have sinned over and over and over again against the Lord. The one who loves us. The one who protected us. The one who pleads with us. Yet so often we just choose our own rebellion and our own way. Ignoring his goodness. Ignoring his love. Ignoring his grace. And he paid such an amazing price to purchase us. With the blood of his own son. He clothes us, He forgives us, and He gives us hope. So what I want to do this evening is look at what we learn of the love of God from Hosea chapter 3. First off, I want you to notice this. God's love, when it comes to our life, has genuine forgiveness. The true ability to forgive stems from God's love. It comes with it here. This is Remember, his life, even in chapter 3, is an illustration. As he fin- and I'm going to get to that because verse 5 is great. It is an illustration of God and Israel, God and his people. We can make the application without doing it any injustice to God and you and I. The truth is, forgiveness many times goes against our nature. I, I, and I've referred to this before, but it's, it's fascinating me. When I was preparing to go to New Guinea, and of course, you're, so I'm trying to learn all I can about the, uh, about the country. I was reading some secular books about it and dis- different materials I can get a hold of as we're preparing to go, hitting debutation. And then I found out of the very first man who had ever went there as a missionary in the 19th century, late 19th century, when he had traveled there. And, and it turns out, he wrote. So I was able to read his writings. Fascinating. And, and the guy had the perfect man for New Guinea. If you know anything about New Guinea, it's a linguistic nightmare. Over 700 unrelated languages. We're not talking different dialects of one language. Unrelated languages. I was just on one tiny, tiny island. One island. New Ireland. It was at least, I can't remember, it's been so long. It was 13 unrelated languages in one island. So this missionary shows up, and how he did this, it was only of God, period. He always called of God. He learned seven of those languages. I did not have to learn a tribal language. I, I can do basic greetings and whatnot in the tribal language is all I could do. I had to learn the trade language, which wasn't that difficult at all. Because they developed a language in, going into the 19th century, into the 20th century, so all those villages could communicate together. That's the language I had to learn. And when he wrote about the languages, the most fascinating fact he found, think about this, they had no word for forgiveness. Now, if you understand how language works, that has great meaning. That means the concept of forgiveness did not exist in their minds. It wasn't there. And so vengeance dominated. It would have helped. Matter of fact, the author of the book of Don Richards, when he wrote The Peace Child, 
Had he actually known that about Chalmers, it would have helped him when he wrote that book. Because Peace Child is written about missionaries in the beginning 1950s. And what happened was this. When the missionary was there, he, he's living there with his family. It's remote. It's difficult. He learns the language. He's getting into the gospel. When he's going through the gospel and teaching on God, guess what, man, they really liked? Judas. They loved what he did. The betrayal. It was part of the culture, and the missionary just felt crushed. Had he actually read some of Chalmers, it would have, that author who wrote Peace Shot, it would have gave understanding into what that missionary was dealing with. And Peace Shot has a great ending. It really does. It, it's, it's fascinating. It's a great read. Because he had to figure out a different way to present the gospel, and the Lord had something in place, a peace child. It turns out a huge fight took place, and it was all of God's sovereignty, and they needed to settle it. People were dying. And so what they did to solve the dispute was, what the custom would the chief of the one tribe would offer his son to allow for reconciliation. When the missionary saw that, he said, I know how to present the gospel to him. I know how they're going to understand. And it worked. They understood what God did. But nonetheless, genuine forgiveness is something that comes from God. And the vengeance was strong there. I mean, you've heard the different stories that the one night when my truck was, was, was stoned when I was coming back uh, late at night, around midnight or so, from uh, uh, dro- dropping off the one church member whose baby had died. And, and the vehicle got stoned. And then the next day, stopping the men who already converted in the work at Sohon of wanting to take retribution. They were ready for vengeance. It's what we do. No, it's not what we do. We're not going to do anything. And it's part of the culture. If we are to forgive one another, even as God hath forgiven us, it's something that takes the work of God. As we see in our text, there are times when forgiveness isn't easy. It costs you. Although Gomer is on sale for half off, the price nonetheless that Hosea would pay would be very great to Hosea. Many times forgiveness is not easy. It's a matter of learning we can trust God. What led to Hosea's ability to come into that moment and forgive and show compassion and actually say to Gomer, come home. Want to know what it was? It was his trust in God. Knowing God is in control, knowing God can protect And forgiveness is the only way to move on. It's true. That has to be essential for you to move on. Without forgiveness, bitterness lies at your doorstep waiting for you. Just waiting. And if we are going to get along as sinful creatures, forgiveness is necessary. I've used this illustration in, a, uh, in one of the marriage retreats. And I thought it was fitting. There was a couple married for 15 years. 
and they just began having all kinds of trouble, all kinds of disagreements. And so they decided, listen, we want to make the marriage work better. So they agreed on an idea that the wife had. For one month, they planned to drop a slip in a fault box. Okay? Um, the boxes would provide a place to let the other know about basically daily irritations. What you did that bugged me. Write it down, put it in the box, set time, we'll come back, and we're going to go over this thing. The wife set it up, she got there, she was diligent with her efforts, and, and several of her notes read like this, she said, leaving the jelly top off the jar, wet towels on the shower floor, dirty socks not in the hamper, on and on till the end of the month. End of the month comes, that was the time they designated they were going to do this after dinner. They have dinner, and they exchange boxes. The husband opens his first. Um, he goes through it, reflects on what he had did wrong, and makes his promises, I'm going to work on those things. Then the wife, her turn, she opens her box filled with notes, but they all said the same thing. I love you. Which box helped? Which box had the greater potential to change the other person? The truth is, obviously, as we see in several places in the Bible, Psalm 130, without forgiveness being from the Lord, none of us have any hope. But not only do we see in Hosea chapter 3 that with God's love comes forgiveness, but we also see something very important. With God's love comes security. Verse 2, he buys, he finds her and he buys her. Verse 3 says, and I said unto her, he gives her security immediately. I mean, remember, she's, who knows for how long she's been tossed about now. Especially as her beauty waned and was leaving, being used up, the men tired of her. He said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot, thou shalt not be here for another. Basically, he almost redoes his wedding vows right there. And I will do the same. He's saying, I'm taking you home. That's what I'm doing. This will be your home. He's not, he's, not, he's not putting conditions. So there's a measure of security here for Gomer. He says, I'm buying you as a slave, but understand this. You're coming into my home. You're going to live with me as my wife. That's what's taking place right now. I'm not buying you as a slave. You're coming home as my wife. He's bringing the security of a husband. A bond that is not to be broken. Shows that his, his relationship that he's establishing with her is not about what he's paying for with, with her as a slave, but is based on his love. That it's not on the contract, if you will. It would be on the covenant. 
on the promise he is giving. You know what that does when that takes place? That actually provides a means of peace and joy within the relationship to take place. You will always, always find an unhappy home when there are threats of leaving and no security. And the one thing that I know to be true, and it's true for all of us, think about this, is according to Romans chapter 8, 35 through 39, God's love will never change for me. That's not ending. God's love brought forgiveness in this case. God's love brought security. And lastly, look at 4 and 5. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, without an ephod, and without a teraphim. Afterwards shall the children of Israel return. The Lord's letting Hosea know, just like what's happening for you right now, that will happen one day for this nation. The children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. He lets Hosea know, just like I'm sending you to Gomer now, she's going to come home. The day is coming where the nation of Israel will have the same thing from me. When I will go to the nation of Israel and say, listen, I bought you, it's time. Come home. So what we learn here about God's love is this. It gives hope. It gives hope. From this point forward, once you conclude chapter 3, there is nothing else written about Hosea and his family. The book is simply, if you were to read it, it would be, you'd, you'd, you wouldn't need a teacher to teach you that. You read the first three chapters, it changes that chapter 4, boom, it deals strictly with the nation of Israel. So the Bible doesn't describe for us at any other, any other place in the Word of God, not in the book of Hosea, what Hosea's family life was like when he got home. We don't know how that story ends. But I do believe, based on verses 4 and 5, that we can make a reasonable assumption based on what we see here on how the story ends, at least how I certainly believe how it ended. I think when Gomer got home, based on the goodness that Jose had showed, the love he had showed, that that goodness led to repentance. I mean, if he was willing to do this where I am so used up, she knew there's, there's not another man willing to do this. I believe she stayed completely faithful. I actually believe they had a great marriage. As a result of love, forgiveness, grace, Hosea being obedient. And just like the hope that God is, as he's telling Hosea this, God even gets right into, listen, by the way, this is what is coming for the nation of Israel. And we know what that's going to be like, because we have much more prophecies about it, how great it's going to be. 
And I believe on top of that, just knowing the character of God and honoring what Hosea went through personally, aside from the prophetic aspect of what his life was picturing. Because those, I mean, it is amazing. The great few, we see everything that's going on with the Middle East now with Israel and, and still blinded as to who Jesus Christ is. The day will come when that will change. That will be during the tribulation. That day will come. And you know what they're going to do? What we're seeing take place in verse 5 is getting ready to happen in our day. They will seek the Lord. They will see Him whom they have pierced. As it talks here, they will seek, they will fear, they will see His goodness. So much of this also comes back again to our life. I, 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 think, I, I think anyone here who, who would try and present an argument against how I, I believe Gomer was at home, I, I think you'd have difficulty doing that. I mean, it doesn't tell us, so I can never say it dogmatically, because it doesn't tell us. And I understand people have a sin nature. But I, that day forward, I think it was an amazing marriage. <clears throat> and so bringing that back to us. I think if we can get to a place to recognize ourselves as being Gomer, how wretched and vile we are. How often we have hurt God Mocked at his, at his direction. Mocked at his grace that he has shown us. Mocked at the goodness that he showed us. Remember we dealt with that in Romans chapter 2. How often we, 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 we have no clue. We don't even recognize the goodness of God in our life every single day. But I believe the more you realize it, what he did for you. You know what that leads to? Lord, I am yours. Whatever you want. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am yours. Thank you for your love, your forgiveness, and your grace in my wretched life. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Now let me ask this, is there, <clears throat> maybe you're here tonight and you are not certain if you have genuinely been converted or you are not certain what is going to happen to you when you die. You don't know if you're going to heaven, you don't know if you're going to hell, or you don't even know what's going to happen when you die. You say, Pastor, that's me, I don't know that. I want you to pray for me. Just put your hand up, you can put it back down, just let me see it. Then you can put that hand back down. Anybody here? I see some small children and whatnot. All right. Christian. It is so amazing. God's love. If the Lord worked on your heart tonight, why don't you come and pray? Father in heaven, bless his invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet.
Page 456. And if you need to come and pray this evening, you come and pray.